Let us turn again to Hebrews chapter 1 and let us read again verses 1 through to 3. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The apostle has been telling us how that God's Son is greater than all the prophets. The Lord Jesus Christ is not an ordinary prophet. He stands out. And that's what these opening verses tell us. These other prophets, they were just the prophets that God spake by. But Christ is his son. God has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. None of the prophets were in any way the son of God the way that Christ was. None of them used that term of themselves. None of them said, I am the Son of God. But Jesus Christ, this latter-day prophet, he could say it, I am the Son of God. And as well as that, they were many, and they could only give their revelation in bits and pieces at different times. Their revelation was fragmentary because it says God at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. It was a fragmentary revelation and it had to be built up bit by bit and it took time and it took not one prophet or two prophets but many, many prophets The prophets in the plural. It was always imperfect because it was incomplete. Though it was infallible and true as far as it went. But it was not the perfect revelation. It was not the complete revelation. It was not the fullness. And it never could be the fullness. No matter how many prophets God raised up. Until he raised up his son. And the revelation is different then. It is perfect then. It is complete then. And nothing more needs to be added to it then once the Son comes to speak. And so in these last times, it is His voice that has completed it and perfected it. There's nothing more to be added. And then the revelation to them, the prophets, was in different manners and different ways. What the apostle calls here divers manners. It came to them in visions. It came to them in symbols. It came to them in dreams. It came to them by visits of the word of God. It came to them by dictation or by many other means. 
But none of these means are needed by the Son of God. You notice that the Apostle doesn't say, in divers manners, in his Son. No, he speaks directly in and through his Son. Whenever the Son speaks, God speaks. The Son speaks in a way that the prophets never speak. The prophets always say, thus saith the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. But when the Son speaks, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you. He doesn't speak like an ordinary prophet. He's special, he's unique, he's different. He is the word who came to them in the Old Testament. He is the word himself. They receive some light, the prophets, but he is the light of the world. A very special revealer of divine truth. And you remember the last of the prophets, if we call John the Baptist the last of the prophets, it was said of him, he was not that light. Didn't we read that? He was not that light. This last prophet and all the other prophets, it could be said the same of them. None of them were that light. But when the sun came, the light comes. They just bore witness to the light. They just said that the, the sun is going to shine. The sun is going to come. The light is going to beam. And whenever Christ came and God spake in his son, the light beamed. The light of the world. The prophets at times did not even comprehend their own messages. They had to study what they said at times to fathom the depths. But the Son of God knoweth the Father. The Son of God knoweth all things. The Son of God declares fully the Father, for he's the bosom Son who dwelleth in the bosom of the Father and who can declare unto us the Father in a way that ordinary prophets never could. So the Son of God is greater than the prophets. Up until the word his Son in verse 2, if the text stopped there, we would know that this Son is a special and unique person. We would know that he has a special and unique relationship to God if the text just stopped there at his Son. We would know he was divine if those were the only words that we had. Otherwise, you see, it wouldn't be different if he wasn't divine. If he was just a mere man like Moses and like Isaiah and, and like Micah and like all the other prophets like David and so on and so forth, if he was just like them, it wouldn't be any different if he was just a mere man. But because he is God, he's the Son. It's so different. It's not the same. It's direct. It's God speaking in his Son. So he is a divine person speaking. But Paul doesn't stop at the word, his Son. He goes on to describe who he is. He goes on to tell us who the Son is and what the Son does he puts it beyond any doubt. And he gives us seven statements that set forth the supreme dignity of God's Son above all others. Who is he? The Son. What has he done? And so we have these seven statements 
Verse 2, half of these last days spoken unto us by his Son. One, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. He's the heir. By whom also he made the worlds. He's the creator. Who being the brightness of his glory. He has this union to the Father. The express image of his person. He has the divine nature, upholding all things by the word of his power. And he had by himself purged our sins, and now is set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's who the Son is. And none of these seven things are true of any prophet. Not true of Moses, one of the greatest prophets on the Old Testament. Not true of Isaiah. A wonderful prophet who saw Christ like no other prophet saw him. They are not true of any man. They are only true of God's Son. So let us begin to look at these seven statements. Who is the Son? Well, first of all, the Apostle says that God hath appointed him heir of all things. The Son is the heir. He is the one who has been appointed by God to be the heir of everything. Now the Jews, being familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, they would be familiar with the idea of inheritance. The heir is the one who gets the inheritance from the Father as a son. And the Jews had understanding of this concept. They were the heirs of the promises made to Abraham. Uh, Whenever there is an inheritance, uh, there's a promise. There's a promise by a father to a son. And the promises were, were, were promises were made to Abraham concerning his children, his seed. That his seed would inherit the land. And that they would inherit much besides the land. And that became known as the inheritance. And you read about it in the writings of Moses and in the book of Joshua. Whenever the children of Israel came into the promised land, they began to partake of the inheritance. That which had been promised to their father Abraham, they were the heirs. Of the promises made to Abraham. The inheritance for Israel. And Israel obtained the promises. And Israel enjoyed the promises. But Israel. And even Abraham. Is not the heir. Really. Ultimately. And fully. The one who is the heir. Is the son. The son of God. Christ is the true heir. The real heir. The prophets partook of the inheritance. And Abraham and the children of Israel and saints partake of the inheritance. But the heir is the Son of God. He is the one who has been appointed by God. And this was in eternity. This was before even the worlds were made. God the Father appointed his Son to be the heir of everything, the heir of all things in the world and in the universe. 
There is no inheritance for us. And we cannot enjoy anything of the inheritance of God except through the heir, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was not even any land of Israel apart from God's Son. And there's no eternal life and no heavenly inheritance and no heavens and no new earth and none of the gifts of the inheritance, the heavenly inheritance, apart from God's Son. He's the earth. We only enjoy the inheritance because of our relationship to him. It is true that Christians are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. But the heir is the son. Christ, the elder brother. And he is the heir as mediator. As the one who is to be incarnate. As the one who is to be made flesh and come into the world in time. Because as God he is the heir of all things. He owns all things. But as mediator. As a unique and special function that he takes up in the salvation of sinners. He has to be appointed it. And he is in the decree of God. Or only God's son. Nobody else. All things. Did you see that? The heir of all things. Everything. He is Lord of all. He possesses all. He owns all. All things that are of the Father are mine, he says. Remember how it says and later on in John's Gospel, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew it. Before he washed the disciples feet. He knew it. He knew that all things had been given into his hands. And yet he stoops to wash his disciples feet. In his humiliation. All things given to him by the father. Remember how it says at the end after his resurrection and before his ascension. All power is given unto me. And you remember how the apostle Peter preached and said. That that same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. The proprietor, the owner of all things, the Lord of all. As the apostles used to preach. You have to know then that Christ is the true Lord, the proprietor of all things in heaven and on earth. And this appointment has been made by God, the Father to him in the covenant of redemption. And so we have to know that because the Son is the heir of all things, everything is in his hand. The forgiveness of sins is in his hand. The gift of eternal life is in his hand. To judge the world is in his hands. To raise the dead is in his hands. He's been given all these things because he's the heir of all things. It is Christ who admits into heaven. It is Christ who casts into hell. He has all of this authority, all of this power, because he has been appointed the heir of all things. And so, child of God, 
You are right to believe in him. You are right to trust in him. You are right to come to him by faith for salvation and for the forgiveness of your sins. You're right to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you must continue to believe in him. Don't apostatize. Don't give up your faith. Because the Son of God is the heir of all things. To whom else will you go? It is folly to reject the Son of God and to turn away from him because he's the heir. But then we might ask, is the Son able to handle this heirship? In the world today, you see, there are many sons and they are not like their fathers. You give them the business and they'll ruin it and destroy it because they don't have the abilities and the gifts of the Father. Is this son capable of being the heir of the Father, the heir of all things from the Father's hands? Is he capable of doing what the Father does? Can he do the works of the Father? What kind of son is he? Can he handle the business? Or is he a son who would ruin the business? It's one thing to be an heir. It's another thing to have the power and the ability and the capability to carry the heirship out. Is the son capable? That is why Paul brings in the next four things. To show us the capability of the son to be the heir. Of all things. And the first thing is, which is our second head tonight, the Son is the Creator. Because it says there in our text, Whom he have appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now we know that God is the Creator of all things. Now the word for world here is plural, and it means literally the ages. He made the ages. Whenever we think of this word, we generally think of time, the ages, and we don't really think of material. There is another word word for the material world, the cosmos, uh, usually in the, in the singular, the world, the cosmos, but, but he made the ages. And pa- Paul could have said that he made the cosmos, and that would be true, of course, he created the universe. But he wants to say more than that. He wants to say everything in time that he he made it. Whatever age we live in, whether we live in the age before the flood and we see the world before the flood, and whatever is in the world before the flood, he made it. And whatever age comes along, down through our age, and we see different things. We can see more now. We can see stars that people could never see before. We see planets now that people could never see before. Whatever the age, and as the age goes on and on, everything that we discover that has been made in the age that we see, Christ made it. That's what Paul means. He's not just saying he created the cosmos. All ages. He created all. Everything in all the ages. All the fabric of the world. And every time. At every point. He is the maker thereof. As we read in John's gospel. 
He made the world, but the world didn't know him. And everything was created by the word of God who was with God. So Paul is saying that he is not only the creator, but the eternal creator. If he made the ages, he's not tied to any age. He made all the ages. If he made the ages, he is before the ages who makes the ages. He is outside the ages. He is the eternal creator who made the worlds and the ages. Christ, the Son of God, is the creator. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Remember how we saw in our studies in Colossians. For by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created. That are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Everything was created by him. And it was made for him. Do you see that? It was made for him too. That he might be the heir of all things that he made. You see, if we were writing this epistle, the way that Paul is here, we would put creator before heirship, wouldn't we? But that's not Paul's order, because that's not the Holy Spirit's order. The Holy Spirit is signifying The Son is the creator of all things because he is appointed heir of all things. We say creator, heir, but the Holy Spirit says heir, creator. He is the rightful Lord of all because he's the Son, you see. And he is capable of being heir Simply because he created all things. And if he made all things, he can handle them. He can handle them as his inheritance. And he won't ruin the business. And he's able to say the works that the Father does, I do them too. I raise the dead. I judge the wicked. I give eternal life. This is what Christ can say. So thus you see how great the Son is, how great is his dignity, how great is his dominion, and he is not at all like the prophets. And then we see that the Son is glorious in his person, because what does the Apostle go on to say next? Who being the brightness of his glory. Oh, we're getting to the question of his person now. Who is this creator? What is his relationship to God? What does it mean that he is a son of God? And the apostle is trying to explain that to us now. We're getting to the question of who the son of God is. Who is he in relation to God? He's the brightness of God's glory. That's who he is. I tell you, none of the prophets were like that. None of them were the brightness of God's glory. They got a little light. Maybe they got a shiny face like Moses. But not one of them could be declared to be the very brightness of the glory of God. But Christ is. If God made all things by him, 
The question that is sometimes asked, is the Son a lesser God? Is he another God? If God made all things by him, is he, what has this relationship to God? And that would be blasphemy to say he's another God. Oh, that would be wicked. Um, as a Christian church, we must never do that. We must understand the person of the Son of God and his relationship to the Father and his position in the Godhead. He is not another God. To have other gods is idolatry and wickedness. And to trust and believe in another God is the highest folly. And we trust and believe in Jesus Christ, but we cannot trust and believe in him as another God. No, he's the same God because he's the brightness of the glory of God. The same God. Whenever we think of a body of light such as the sun, there are the sunbeams that come from it, the brightness. And we can't really separate that. To us that is one. We see the body and the sun beaming from it in its glory. And it's one body. And the sun is inseparable from the Father. The Father is like the sun, like the body, the divine substance. And Christ is radiating from him. The brightness of that glory inseparable from the Father, not another God, but of the Father and from the Father, the same God. So that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. And you know if the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, the bright light and the brightness cannot be separated from the glory. And the brightness is the glory. And so the Son of God has this relationship to the Father he has the glory of the Father. He has a divine glory, wonderful glory, unapproachable glory. You remember how the Bible says that God has only immortality and he dwells in the light which no man can approach unto? That's God. He is light that no man can approach unto. And the Son of God is the brightness, the brightness of that light. Paul's getting us to the very definition of who he is. He's not another God. The way the Jehovah Witnesses would put it. Someone separate from the Father. Someone totally distinct. Someone who is of another essence. And another substance altogether. He is not. He, he's of the same substance. The same divine substance. The brightness. Of that substance. That's who he is. He's not another God. He's not another light. There are not two divine glories and two divine lights. There is not the glory of God and another glory of the Son. It's the same glory that the Son of God shares with the Father. And so the Father and Son are inseparable. The one divine glory. Just as light cannot be separated from the Son Jesus Christ says, I and my Father are one. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And that glory is the glory of the one eternal, unchangeable God. The night of the knowledge of God and of the glory of God 
is in the face of Jesus Christ because that son became incarnate. Some of the glory was veiled in that. But we know that he has the glory as of the only begotten. And that's a divine glory. And that's where we have to be at odds with the Jehovah Witnesses and with Arians who strip Christ of his glory that he has with the Father and give to him a created glory. His is not a created glory. It's the brightness of the glory of God. Then we come on to the next one. And with this we will finish because the time is gone. The Son is the image of God. What does the Apostle say in verse 3? And the express image of his person. The Father and Son are inseparable. And yet they are distinct persons. The Son is the very image of the Father. The true and the complete image of God. To see him is to see the Father. Not a lesser image, not a a, a nearly complete likeness, the very image. You know, whenever you have a a seal and you you have have the imprint on the bottom of it and you put it in the wax and then you, you seal or stamp the page the image that is on the end of the seal appears on the, on the paper. The very same image, the very same likeness. And the Son of God is the image of the Father. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Inseparable, the brightness of his glory. But two distinct persons, the image the very image. Not a created image. Not a, a made and a printed image. But the express image. The complete likeness of the Father. The image is the same. As we saw in our studies in Colossians. Who is the image of the invisible God? You see we can't make images. You can't create an image of God. It's, it's wickedness to create an image. No image will ever be the same as God. The only one who is the same as God, the true icon, the true image of God, is the Son. He's a true image. And we can worship the true image. And we can worship God in and through the true image. And in actual truth, we cannot know God except in his true image through his son so this is an eternal uncreated image it did not commence at the incarnation there are two persons you see brethren and sisters two separate persons but inseparably one and I have to say it's not the other way around the father is not the image of the son For the Father is not from the Son, and the Father is not begotten of the Son. But the Son is the image of the Father, because the Son is from the Father, and the Son is begotten of the Father. 
And this is an eternal relationship. The eternal image of God. And this is Paul's explanation of what it is to be the Son of God, the only begotten. The one eternal God. The Son is from the Father, but they are inseparable and they are both divine. The one eternal God who, along with the Holy Spirit, are the undivided and the inseparable eternal Holy Trinity. So you see, he is not the same as the prophets. He's different. But Paul is saying he is the same as God. He is the same as God. What does this mean? Well, it means that you can have confidence in Jesus Christ. It means you can believe in him. It means that you can love and adore him and trust him. And pray to him too. And not be committing idolatry or blasphemy. He's God's son. And he is the one who brings you to God. And only he can bring you to God. Who has himself come from God. And he came from God to us in the incarnation. So that he may bring us back to the only true God. God did this in his son. And no one else can be mediator. No mere creature could ever be mediator between God and man. No one else is God and man in one person. And no one else is qualified to be mediator but Jesus Christ. And he's able to save, he's mighty to save. And you can trust him because of who he is The Son. So it means that you can trust him and not be guilty of idolatry. It means also that you can come to him for all your needs. You can pray in his name to the Father. For all things. And what are our needs? We, We need salvation. And we have the Son to come to. And we need the forgiveness of our sins. And we have the Son to come to. And we need the long-suffering and the grace of God. And we have the Son to come to. And he invites us as well. And he would never cast us out if we come to him in faith. We need him for salvation. We need him for sanctification. We need him for glorification. And there's no one else but only the heir of all things, capable and able to handle all of those things and to share them with us in his grace as we believe and trust in him and depend on him. I mean, why would anyone go to Mary? Why would anyone look to the church or look to the minister or look to the priest And never deal directly with the one that God has given to us. That we may know his glory. His son. And so let us deal with the son of God. Let us believe in him. Let us be joined to him by faith. And thus we become in his marvelous grace. Joint heirs. 
If children then heirs, heirs of God, because joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so all things are yours because you are Christ's. And then lastly, by way of application, if this is true and it is all true as your consciences know, what shall be the end of those who reject the Son of God? What shall be the end of those who turn away from this person through whom God speaks to us in his grace, even the person of his own dear Son? What a marvelous thing that he would send his Son to this great work and errand of salvation. And what shall be the end of those who turn away from him? What shall be the end of those who reject him? Who despise him, who trample him underfoot, who count the blood that he shed as nothing? What shall be the end of them who obey not the gospel? Which at the first was spoken unto us by the Lord, by the Lord himself, the heir of all things. Oh, when sinners go to hell under the gospel, it is because of their folly and their foolishness in turning away from the dear Son of God. And so blessed are those who believe in him and have faith and are joint heirs with him and who shall through him as he has promised, inherit all things. Let us pray.